Well, good morning again. I trust you had a blessed week. Um, God is faithful no matter what your week was like. I didn't come off the best week, but God is good. And it's good to see every face in here today. We're actually not going to be in Romans today. And I'll tell you why. We're going to be in 2 Peter. So go to 2 Peter chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I'll explain why. Romans 9 is, uh, Peter says at one point, um, some things that Paul wrote are hard to understand. And Romans 9 is that chapter he was talking about, I think. Um, Romans 9 takes us into some very deep water that honestly, I'm just not ready to go. And so I am readying myself. I'm reading a book about that thick, um, dense, very dense, uh, to kind of help myself understand so I can confidently present the Word of God to you. That way I'm not just kind of throwing out ideas. Um, And so that's why we're not in Romans, because I have many months to go before I'm through that book, and uh, and my my study is adequate. So we're going to be in 2 Peter today. God has used uh, this book to bless me, um, and I trust it'll bless you today as well. And before we get started today, I want to remind you how vital the Word of God is to our everyday life. And plead with you to seek the Lord through the word daily. Not as a law or performance, but because we need the word of God in our face every day. I've realized this. That I have been reading the word. I'm 20, I'm not 28 yet. I'm almost 28. Um, Since I was around 12 years old. It's been over 15 years. And no matter how well I know the word of God, I forget most of it until I see it again. That's why the Bible's not like, oh, I'm glad you read the Bible four times. Keep going. It's, it's a book of meditation. It's not a book to, to complete and put on the shelf. It is a book for a lifetime. And so, church, I cannot encourage you more to seek happiness in the Lord through His Word. Make yourself happy in God through His Word. Learn to cherish it. Learn to love it. Get it in your face daily. And this, uh, today we're going to talk about our involvement in our sanctification, or in other words, our involvement in us becoming more like Jesus. And we are involved in that process. God does the work through the Spirit, we've talked about this, but He involves us. We're going to see Peter use this, this phrase, make every effort. He's going to say that twice in our passage today. Make every effort to do this, these things right here. And so the sermon title today is that. Make every effort, beloved. Make every effort to be sanctified in the Lord. To become more like Jesus. Make every effort. And hungering to enjoy God's word daily is one way we can apply this sermon before I even get into it. So 2 Peter chapter 1. Are you there? Say amen. Amen. Okay. Let's read this. Are you ready to focus today? Are you ready to lean in? Are you awake? Are you sober-minded? Let's go. Gird up the loins of your mind, as Scripture would say. Not really, but kind of. Prepare to pay attention. Simeon Peter, or Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those, who's he writing to? To those who have received a faith equal to ours, equal to the apostles, equal to the believers with Peter, through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. He just made a big, huge statement right there. And we're going to explain why. May grace and peace be multiplied to you, Fresno Church, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. By His glory and goodness, by these, He has given us very great and precious promises so that through these promises we may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. 
Do you have evil desire inside you? That's really quiet. It's a very obvious answer. Do you have evil desire inside you? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. I don't care how good of a Christian you are. You have evil desire inside you. Sin is within you. We want to escape the corruption that is in the world that comes from that evil desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Or some translations will say, add to your faith. Goodness. Goodness with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control. Self-control with endurance. Endurance with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure. Peter gets it. A lot of us, we have these, right? I have self-control. I need it in increasing measure. I bought something this week. It was a stupid purchase. Shouldn't have bought it. I said something this week. It was a stupid thing to say. Shouldn't have said it. I need more. I need self-control in increasing measure. I love you guys. I need love in increasing measure. Peter gets it. We're not, this, this, these qualities, they're not boxes. Check, got that one. You should have all of these. In Christ, you do have all of these. In Christ, you are godly automatically. But we must be growing in these. Don't you see how salvation and sanctification work together? You're saved. Boom. You are immediately, you got saved. You gave your life to Jesus. You did nothing to earn it. Immediately, you are good. Because you have the goodness of Christ. You have knowledge. You have enough knowledge to be saved. You have self-control. You have endurance. You have godliness. You have brotherly affection. You have love immediately when you're saved. Because now you're in Christ. But now, sanctification is growing in those things, beloved. We need to grow in those things. It's apparent we're not there. All we have to do is just look in the rearview mirror of our week and we can see we're not there. We didn't nail this. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing of his past from his past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters... Make every effort, there it is again, to confirm your calling and election because if you do these things, you will never stumble. What a statement. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. So here's the main point today. God calls us to be actively involved in our spiritual maturing. And it is more than showing up on a Sunday. It is our every day. It is our life. Spiritually maturing in Christ is your life as a believer. It's every moment every day. It doesn't mean it's work every moment every day. It's resting in Jesus. It's, it's more than working, more than doing all these things the right way. And, and I got to get real good at this. It's learning to trust Jesus. Because remember, what are all these qualities added to? There's something we started with. What was it? Faith. Supplement your faith. The foundation is faith. We're going to add to that, not replace it. We have to come back to faith. I trust in the Lord that He is building these things in me. He gave these qualities to me. He's increasing these qualities. Now I'm going to seek to do that with Him, to labor with God as a little child that helps the father in the yard. It may, that child may frustrate the father more, but the father loves that that child is there helping. So however lame you think your efforts are, make every effort all the same. Because it is the spirit working in you, beloved. Just like Paul said, I labored, I worked harder than everyone, yet not I But the favor, grace of God was working through me. How are those, both those statements true? 
I don't know. It's a mystery, but that's our life. God is working. We are working. It's all God. We're a part of it. It is joyful partnership with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, guide my words to feed your people the word of God in the best way you desire. Lord, give us accuracy. Give us understanding. Lord, give us goodness, knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness, brotherly affection, and love in increasing measure. Give us unity as a body. You are the worker, God. I simply work alongside you this morning. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have nothing good besides you. That's me today. That's us today. But Jesus, but the cross, he's done it all. We love you, Jesus. You're the victor. You're victorious in us. The enemy cannot win. So may he not win in any hearts. May apathy not grow in any heart today. May slumber and sleepiness not burden the eyes of anyone in this place today, God. May there be a focus and a faith to receive the word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Peter teaches and reminds us of some glorious realities here. Verses 1 through 4, that's where we're going to start. It's the situation. It's the setup. Peter's going to paint the picture and remind us, right at the beginning of this letter, he's going to remind us, hey, Remember what Jesus has done. Remember who you are. He introduces himself as a servant and an apostle. Now, none of us will ever be apostles like Peter was. Jesus had disciples, and from his disciples, it says he called 12 to be apostles. We don't get to join that little fan club, okay? It doesn't mean they're elite. It just means we don't get to claim that title. But we do get to claim the the title of servant. We do. And this is important, church. God has burdened my heart for this right here. We need to have this mindset as leaders, especially in this place, that when you step into leadership, right? And I think of a leader today that just blesses me so much, my friend James, who's in Kidsville right now, working with the kids. He also leads the media team. Pray for James. His stepping into that role was not a step up into status, It was a step down into service. And that is how we need to see it. Red, Terry, Anthony, our board members, they did not step up to the elite status of our church. They stepped down to the elite servanthood of our church. They're the the greatest sacrificers and servants in this church. That's what that means. That's the mindset we need to have in the kingdom of God. Remember Jesus? If one of you would be the greatest, let him be the, the least, the servant of all. And we see who Peter is writing to. He's writing to those who are saved. And for sake of time, I'm honestly, we're going to move past this right here um, to verse 2. But he says, they've received a faith like ours, equal to ours. This is very important, church. What the entire letter of Peter If you have not put your faith in Christ in in here today, he is not talking about you. I welcome you to, to look into the life of the believer. But until you put your faith in Christ, this is not the description of you. This is the description of those who have received faith like Peter. And Peter's faith was not special. It was just like ours. We put our faith in Jesus. That's it. I've given myself over to him. He is my God. I got nothing. I have no righteousness. I'm not better. But there is an exclusion here. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Because he's about to say this in verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. In God's mercy... Those who are not saved, and us when we weren't saved. Remember those days? You should. Don't forget you were cleansed from something. You were cleansed because y'all were filthy. Y'all was filthy. Filthy. 
And Jesus cleansed me. But you don't say grace and peace be multiplied to you who are on your way to the wrath of God. No, you say repent. Turn around. Find Jesus so grace and peace can be your reality. But beloved, you get to hear this from the mouth of God through his servant, through his apostle. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. That's God's desire for you. Grace and peace. You're like, yeah, but I got to do everything right. I got to make sure I'm... No! Has Peter told us to do anything yet? No. No, he's not told us to do a single thing. He says, because you're in Christ, grace and peace are yours. Remember what Paul said, Colossians 3.15? Let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called, in one body, let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. What's in charge of your heart today? Is it worry? Is it anxiety? Is it your flesh trying to, trying to navigate everything, trying to make sure, okay, well, if, if I put this here, if I make sure this is taken care of, if I make enough money here, if I, you know, if I get this, then, then we're good. Is, is that what's ruling your heart? Or is the peace of God, which says, stand down, child, I'm in control. I'm in control. I am God Almighty. I'm in control of your life. Does that peace rule your heart? But notice, notice what he says here. How, what is the vehicle that delivers grace and peace to us in verse 2? May grace and peace be multiplied to you through something. Through the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is what causes grace and peace to be multiplied in your life. Again, where's the word of God? Let it be in your face. You need the knowledge of God. And notice, this knowledge, there's a difference between math and science. Math, 2 plus 2 equals 4, cold, dead, hard fact. There it is. Science, hydrogen plus oxygen, boom, something happens. You mix chemicals together, something happens. It's not just an equation anymore. That's Christianity. There's a lot of math Christians out there. Okay, Jesus did this for me. I must do this for him. Makes sense. Sounds good. And then there's the science. Don't get caught up in the, it's just an illustration. It's just an illustration. I realize this can be taken a lot of different ways depending on how you're hearing this. It's just an illustration. An encounter with Jesus equals a changed life. I come into contact with Jesus. I know him, the knowledge of God. The difference is looking at a picture of Yosemite, which is beautiful, no? It's beautiful. Versus being there under the mist of Yosemite Falls. There's a huge difference, is there not? One is knowledge, the other is knowledge. Do you see this? This you see, it is an experiential understanding of something. Peter says, through the knowledge of God, grace and peace. Be with the Lord. Get with the Lord. Verse 3. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. Again, through the what? Where are you? Through the what? Through the knowledge. Through the knowledge of God who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now just pause. What did he just say? Let's go back, Ryan, to that verse. What did he just say? God has given you everything. His power has given us everything required for life and godliness. Everything required for life and godliness. Everything required for life and godliness. God's power to you. Peter is just overflowing with good news for us right now. Do you hear it? This is not condemnation. This is not obligation. This is freedom. God has washed over you in his power. He said, you're going to have everything you need for life and godliness. 
not just for life, but to live life godly, to live life with the fear of God. This, there are two immediate takeaways from this. One, believing this verse, believing it, is there's so much hope in every situation because we are equipped with everything we need. Believe it, walk by faith in this promise. Second, there is no excuse for our sin. If we have everything we need for life and godliness, at no point can we say, well, if God would have just done this, then I wouldn't have. If God wouldn't have done that, then I would have done this, or I wouldn't have. No, 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 no. We own our sin. We own it. We don't dismiss it away. We don't excuse it. We own it. We say, yeah, I, I messed up. I chose to say that. Well, if this person didn't, then I wouldn't have had to. Does any of this sound familiar? If my wife would just, then I. No. No. There is no excuse. We are spiritual millionaires. Do you believe that, church? We gotta like have revival because that right there is hard to believe. I'm like, you know, I, I'm a spiritual $20 bill. No. You're a spiritual millionaire. The wealth of your abundance in Christ is so much more than you'll ever be able to exhaust. Believe it. Meditate on it. Get, get it in your face. This is a promise. Because look what he says in verse 4. By these, by his glory and goodness, he has given us very great and precious promises. Peter just gave us one. Everything you need for life and godliness. That's a promise. It's yours. So that through these promises, we can share in something and we can escape something. We're going to share in something. We're going to escape something. What do we share in? What do we share in? Say it. The what? The what? The, the divine nature? Does that mean I'm God? No. But do you realize how close God has brought us? We cannot get any closer to God. If physical reality just needs to disappear and then we're there. But we don't feel that. We don't think like that. It doesn't feel like that when we live our lives and we go outside and the sun is 105 in our face and it's like, I share in the divine nature. I got to go to work tomorrow. Yay. God, help us. This is the role of suffering in our lives. That it, 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 it takes away our apathy. I mean, we can let it just overcome us, but suffering brings us to that place where I need God. I need to know what this means. This can't just be words on a page anymore. I need this to be life to me. Look what Paul says. For you died. Who died? The believer. You died and your life is hidden where? With Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. This is how we share in the divine nature. Hunter? Who's Hunter? It's Christ. It's Christ. That Christ is in me and I am in Christ. That's how close God is. And so what should be happening now is that my life should begin to look more like the life of Jesus that's in me. It does not make sense for me to sin. It should feel so odd. If I cuss, that should feel really wrong. It should feel really like, like it doesn't fit. Like why is a cat barking? Why is a dog meowing? It doesn't make sense. So it is with the believer who sins. Do we sin? Yes, we do. Thank, 
Thank God we have an advocate. Thank God we have the blood of Jesus that cleanses us again and again. But sin doesn't make sense in our lives because our life is who? We, we have His life. We have the life of God. So, <laughs> it means our lives are going to be frustrating until we die. Do you realize that? I'm realizing that now, again. Why am I so frustrated all the time? Well, because I keep sinning. And it doesn't make sense for me to sin. So it makes sense that I should be frustrated. But then I get up and I find the grace and peace of God multiplied to me through Christ, through the knowledge of Him that He's taken away my sin. Now, Hunter, stop looking at your sin. Get up and look at Christ again. Trust Him again. So we see the situation. This is the setup. How glorious it is. We're spiritual millionaires. So now we move on to the response. And again, for those who struggle with like legalism, performance, religious OCD, things like that, you hear response as my miserable obligation. Okay, now that God did this, 2 plus 2 equals 4, I need to do this, unfortunately. I need to be this great person that I'll never feel like I am, and I'll just feel beat up every day because I'm not good enough. No, do not be discouraged. Deny discouragement. Deny that voice. Fire. Fire that voice in your head. It doesn't belong. Because what Peter's saying is not, Well, since this is true, this better be what you do. No, no, no. When you experience, when you believe, science happens. A reaction happens. A change happens. And our response is to deny the flesh and to add to our faith. Again, some of you may hear, add to your faith. It's faith alone by which I'm saved. We're not talking about salvation. He's already established the people he's writing to are in Christ. So we add to our faith so that, you know, God's, God loves me more? No. So God's more pleased with me? No. No. But that my life more accurately displays the life that's in me. Oh, that my life may more accurately display the life that's in me. It's not mine. I died. Hunter died. That, fle- that sinful nature that was, it's gone. I'm free now. I actually get to obey Christ. So the response. Make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness. Now what is goodness? Some translations will... will Translate this word virtue or moral excellence. And um, I was reading a commentary on this passage by Michael Green. And makes me feel smart because he, he writes in this kind of ornate way. So let's all, you know, grab our cup of tea and our monocle and feel smart together as I read this, okay? He's going to help us understand this word goodness. He says, it means excellence, And it was used to denote, you can't hear this unless you put on your smart hat, okay? We're all smart in here now. It was used to denote the proper fulfillment of anything. The excellence of a knife is to cut. The excellence of a horse is to run. That's what he says, you know? Maybe the excellence of a horse is to look good. Um, But it's the proper fulfillment of anything. So in a word, the life of the Christian must reflect something of the attractive nature, character of Christ. For Jesus was the man par excellence, the proper man. True human excellence, true human goodness then, is the manliness. Don't get distracted by that. What he means is humanness. The humanness, which is Christlikeness. So what is goodness? For the human, goodness is Christ-likeness because he is the perfect man. 
He is the perfect human. Jesus was the perfect human. And so goodness, excellence, virtue is Christ-likeness, is being like the perfect human. So add to your faith Christ-likeness. WWJD. What did Jesus, what would Jesus do? That we're not always, we don't always come to the right conclusion when we think that. Sometimes it's hard to know. That's not the only thing we add to our faith. But we add to our faith the understanding that I'm becoming like Jesus. What if we woke up on Monday thinking that? I'm going to become like Jesus today. And really believed it. Really believed it. That, that Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is making me more like Jesus today. So we add to goodness, or supplement goodness now, with knowledge. Are you daily growing in the knowledge of God? This is not a condemnation, but an encouragement. We believe in Jesus, so we seek to know Him more. Remember, it starts with faith. We're adding all of this to belief. This is what happens with legalism, is you take faith and you remove it from the foundation. Ryan, can you put up that list that I just put up the yeah I just put up the whole list just yeah go to the end and put the whole list up there I'm sorry I did all that extra work for nothing legalism takes faith out what are you left with you're left with everything you have to do but when faith is your foundation you're trusting who you're trusting Jesus you're trusting the Lord he's doing all of this in me And so I'm adding because I have divine strength to do so. I'm adding to my faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness. I'm adding these things because I have divine strength to do so. Because I have a divine life inside of me. I share in the divine nature. Is this making sense? This goes back to what I said at the beginning. Lean into the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Pay attention. Because it is, it, is, it is possible to read the Word of God and it actually do more damage if you are not dependent on the Spirit, trusting Him to give you understanding in it. What do I mean? Oh, I could give a good illustration of this. I was talking to someone not long ago who's lived a rough life, a rough life, like trauma abounds, like all kinds of horrible things. But they know the Bible they know the Bible, but they don't know it well. And so what happens is, I say one scripture, he says a scripture. I say a scripture, he says a scripture. But what happens is, I can see it. I can see his life. And he's trapped. He's trapped himself, where scripture just condemns him. It doesn't breathe life into him. There's no fruit of the Spirit. He's, he's, he's trapped. And he's trapped by what? His knowledge and his sin. It's not, our problem's not always a lack of knowledge, but sometimes it is. It's the right knowledge. So it's possible to read the Bible and it do more damage. I mean, most of us know someone or have known someone who because they read the Bible, they're not better people. They're actually worse. Because they use it in their flesh and not in the spirit. It's not as simple as just read your Bible and you'll get it. No, you must read it trusting in the Lord. And what's amazing is God is so merciful that some of us, before we came to Christ, we did pick up a Bible and the Spirit was using it. We had no idea, but it led us to Christ because the Spirit was saying, opening our eyes. He was opening our heart to receive it, to understand it. When Jesus said, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. You know what our prayer is when we get in the Word of God? Oh God, give me ears to hear. And we do not assume, we don't just draw all the conclusions. We don't sit there in isolation and draw conclusions and say, okay, this is what Scripture means. That's why I'm leaning into Michael Green, this commentary. commentary. And all of the sermons and everything is part of, of what's leading me to conclude what I'm concluding today. It's not an isolation of, oh man, Hunter just really understands Scripture. 
you know, John really understands Scripture. No, it's the Spirit. And we do this in community. That's why we need the church. And that's why we need spiritual authority. Because when you're confused, you allow a spiritual authority to speak into a situation. It doesn't mean that spiritual authority is always right. But it doesn't negate the fact that we need spiritual authority in our life. Church, we need, as a church, we need spiritual authority. We need Red, Terry, Anthony as a spiritual authority. We need that. That's healthy. That's good. It doesn't mean they're perfect men. But it means we believe God has called them to the, the position they're serving in. And so they get to help us, enlighten to us, Scripture. To some degree, I get to be spiritual authority as much as I'm accurate with the Word of God today. There's a healthiness in that. Just because spiritual authority has been done wrong so many times does not mean it's a bad thing. God set it up. And so we don't gain our knowledge totally in isolation. We gain knowledge of God in community. Okay, moving on. We supplement our knowledge with what? Self-control. And I love this. Because what do we tend to do with knowledge? Not be self-controlled. Oh, I can speak into this. Oh, I've got the download on this. Oh, they need to know what I know. Because I have the knowledge. We get arrogant. In Scripture, y'all know the verse, knowledge what? Puffs up. Puffeth? Yes. King James, man. Puffeth up. Love that word. Knowledge puffs up. It's going to get you arrogant. So what do we need? We need self-control, beloved. Where we say, no, I don't need, I don't, I don't have all the information here. No, I, maybe I have a lot of information. Maybe I think I'm right. But I'm going to be humble and I'm going to wait for the Lord here. And I'm going to speak in now. And if I'm wrong, I'm going to accept that. I'm not going to be insecure. I'm going to be self-controlled, trusting in the Lord. And what do we add to our self-control? Endurance. We add to self-control endurance. Endure in your self-control. We don't have self-control until it's too hard. We have self-control until we don't need to. We have self-control as long as it takes to be what? The next thing. Godly. Do you see how these connect to each other? Are you seeing it a little bit? These notes are also available at fresnochurch.info if you want to go back later and, and trace this like I'm doing. Or if you're joining us online, you can follow along fresnochurch.info sermon. We need self-control to lead us into godliness. It's like we have these these meters, right? This, this is how much self-control I have. If you push me here, I have no self-control. Do you know what I'm talking about? And we learn to accept this. We learn to accept this fleshly way of thinking. Oh yeah, it was just too much. It was just too much. They got me too irritated. They got me too angry. No, 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 no. You lost control. You lost control. This is bad. I don't know if I should share this, but I'm going to. When I would get really mad, I would like throw things in like a safe way. <laughs> Whatever that means. But the Lord really convicted me. And it's like, well, I'm mad enough to throw something right now. Yeah, you know what that is, Hunter? That's losing self-control. That's losing self-control. Are we ever justified in losing self-control? Answer confidently. Are we ever justified in losing self-control? No. No, we are not. 
Will we lose self-control sometimes? What is that called? (laughs) What is that called in a three-letter word? Sin. It's called sin. And what do we do with sin? We own it. We take it to the cross. We leave it there. The blood of Jesus covers that sin and we move on. And we exercise self-control. We don't, no, that's it. Those, those words, those two words never come out of the mouth of a Christian. That's it. Okay, I'm done. It's time to let the beast out. No, there's no beast. The beast died. The life of Christ is in you. We stayed too long on this. That leads us into godliness, which is piety towards God. In some ways, this is the, this is the world word for like religious. But really, underneath that, Godliness is the fear of God. It is the awe, the reverence of God. The fear of God. Do you walk in the fear of the Lord? We're not, our fear, this is so rich. There's a book called um, Rejoice and Tremble. And the way in which that author unpacks the fear of God is, is profound. It will help you grow in your knowledge of God. If you want to read it, Rejoice and Tremble. And there's a bunch of resources on the resource table back there that will hopefully help add to your faith knowledge, add to your goodness knowledge. But the fear of God is, is that which is not a, not a cowering away, but a bowing toward. Do you see the difference? That most times fear removes us from something. I got to stay away from this. And I think a lot of people live their lives like that. Like, oh, I respect God. Even in that motion, what am I doing? I'm away. I'm turning away from God. I'm Adam and Eve. God's good. I acknowledge God's great. So I'm going to go hide. Because I'm naked. I got to hide. When the fear of God is that which moves toward him in awe, in wonder, in, 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 in almost like, like a roller coaster fear. It's a thrill. And he's holy. And so, whoa, whoa. God is here. That's godliness. That fear of the Lord. As I understand it right now. It's like Peter is constructing a fortress around us. Do you have those pictures, Ryan, of a fortress or a stone tower? This is the idea. This is the imagery I want you to have of yourself. That this is you being sanctified. The wind, the water, the storms, those things have been there for who knows how long. Right? Faith is the foundation. And all of these stones, right? Goodness, knowledge, self-control, godliness, endurance. And it's all sealed together with these next two. Brotherly affection and love. But that's you, beloved. Peter is just building this fortress and he says, and he's going to say, because if you do these things, if you have these qualities in you, you're never going to stumble. You'll be like that Stone tower. So what's the difference between brotherly affection and love? Kind of the same thing. In the Greek, we know there's, there's different words for love. There's, we say, I love this, I love that. But in the Greek, which is the Bible was written in, you say, I phileho that. Or eros this. Or agape. There's, there's multiple words for love. And so brotherly affection is that word. It's the word Philadelphia. It's, it's this familial love or friendship love. That's what we need to have for each other. I love this, that it's brotherly affection and agape. That we need this affection for one another. Because, you know, we agape people because we have to. We unconditionally love people. Because we have to. But that doesn't mean I have brotherly affection for them. Do you see this? 
Doesn't mean I have to like them. Well, sorry. You have to like them too. Doesn't mean you feel good about everything they do. No, no. But I love this person. I don't love that person. No, I love this person. I move toward them. Doesn't mean we don't have healthy boundaries. It doesn't mean there's not complications. But brotherly affections is one of these stones. It's one of these qualities. And then agape. What a rich word. What a rich word. We're coming, we're coming, we're coming down here to the, to the last point. This is Michael Green again, and he says this about brotherly affection versus agape. In friendship, philia, the partners seek mutual solace. Put our smart hats on again. In sexual love, eros, mutual satisfaction. In both cases, these feelings are aroused because of what the loved one is. When I love my wife, it is because of everything I perceive and enjoy about her. She is the object of my love in that case, right? My friendship is I feel this from her or in her. In both cases, feelings are aroused because of what the loved one is. With agape, it is the reverse. God's agape is evoked not by what we are, but by what he is. His love, his agape, has its origin in the agent, not in the object. It is not that we are lovable, but that God is love. This agape might be defined as a deliberate desire for the highest good of the one loved, which shows itself in sacrificial action for that person's good. That is what God did for us, John 3.16. That is what he wants to do. That is what he wants us to do, 1 John 3.16. That is what he is prepared to achieve in us, Romans 5.5. I love this. God loves us because he is love. Not because he looked at us and he said, oh, you're so lovable. No. Do you realize that's how we love now? That you have love in you. Like it's in you now. And so whether someone is lovely or lovable or not, you can love them because love is in you. Does this make sense? That is the power of agape. That's the power of agape. The other loves, I love ice cream. Why? Because it's amazing. I love this car because it's amazing. And God says, I love you because I'm amazing. Do you see that? I love you because I'm amazing. And so we say, I love you because he's amazing. Do you see that? And he is in me. I love you, my enemy, because he is amazing. Do you see that? The power. I love faith, and then we end with that. Come on. So we see the situation, our response. Let's end with the result. What is the result? For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is such a thing as a fruitless Christian, as a useless Christian in the knowledge of God. And he says these qualities will keep you from the uselessness. More specifically, uselessness in the knowledge of God. You can be useless in the knowledge of I need to correct myself there. That when I have the knowledge of God, it profits me nothing because I lack these qualities. I lack self-control. I lack endurance. I lack, and man, I can look at my life and I can see lack. I can see that. But Peter's not trying to condemn us, beloved. He's saying no. He's encouraging us. Remember the truth. God is already in you. So it's not as if you got to figure this out. He's already doing this in you. He's already doing this in you. Verse 9. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing 
from his past sins. This is a sobering verse. If our response to the gospel, to what Jesus has done, to who Jesus is, if it is laziness, carelessness, or discouragement, that's my favorite. That's my go-to. I'm just going to be discouraged. I just want to give up. Forget all this. Until tomorrow, I'm going to sleep. If that is our response, then we will become blind and short-sighted. We'll become short-sighted because all we see is the here and now. We've lost focus of eternity. It's in the background somewhere, kind of blurry. All I can see is right now. The pleasure of right now, the suffering of right now, but it's all just, this is all I see. So what do we do? We try to get the best job we can. We try to get the best stuff we can. We try to get the best spouse we can. We try to get the best children we can. We try to get the best retirement we can because this is all I see. This is all that matters. Like, no, that matters, but it's blurry. Eternity becomes blurry. And you're blind because you don't know what you're doing. You have lost sight. If you lack these qualities, we lose sight of what, is, what matters. And Disney will tell us all that matters is family. It's like, well, no. No. Jesus. Family is secondary. Jesus. That's what matters. And if you lack these qualities, you're like, yes, that's right. But yeah, I guess that's right. I guess that's right. I guess it's about Jesus. This is sobering. Therefore, remember, we're trying to escape the corruption that is in the world. That corruption is that which causes us to seek the things that are seen, that are temporary, that are just here. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, because if you do these things, you will never stumble. Is he saying, make yourself saved? No. If you're walking in sin, it's very hard to be confident in your salvation. And I think for a lot of times, for a long time, that's what we've tried to do. Once saved, always saved, or lose your salvation, right? That's, those are the, the two camps. And, and what we want is to be once saved, always saved, so that I don't have to feel scared right? No, if you're saved, you're saved. But if you're walking in sin, it's hard to be confident that you're saved. Because why are you walking in sin? Remember how it doesn't make sense? All of a sudden, if you're questioning your salvation, my encouragement to you there would not be, man, no, you're saved. (laughs) That's not what Peter says. He says, well, make your calling and election sure. What in the world are you doing? Why are you living in sin? I'm not going to comfort you in your sin. I'm not going to tell you it's all right. You're saved anyway. No. Make your calling and election sure. If you're saved, prove it. That sounds so wrong, doesn't it? It sounds like works. Sounds like works righteousness. This is is the subtlety right here. This (laughs) This is where Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons go here. We say, no, no, no. What am I saved by? Grace, faith, right? By grace, through faith. It is the grace of God that saved me. So if I'm starting to work for it, I'm no longer, it's not grace. It's like, well, I make myself better. Not entirely. Your life is God now, so it is confusing. Because how is your life God? We don't know. Is this like making sense that it doesn't make sense? Man, if you guys are with me there, we're good. We're like 50 minutes in too, so we'll wrap this up here. But make your calling and election sure. Start gaining these qualities. Not, okay, okay, because the flesh wants to say, okay, let's remove faith. We didn't see that. Nothing happened. Okay, I need to be good. I I can do that. I can be good. I need self-control. I can do that, right? And you know who the people who are in danger are the people who are really good at doing all these things without faith. 
because they don't see their need for faith. They don't see their need for the grace of God because I'm nailing it. Check, 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 check. Yeah, I'm not perfect, but one of the most deadly statements. Yeah, I'm not perfect, but it's revealing something. No, we're all broken. Jesus is our life. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Let's just jump to the end. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. What does that mean? Well, the best I understand it, if your attitude, be careful, I've heard Christians say this. If your attitude is, well, as long as I'm getting in, we good. Who is the focus in that thinking? Me. It's the flesh. Dangerous words. Whenever you hear the voice of the flesh, you should hear a slimy, greasy, like, attorney that's always defending the wrong person. Like, that's what you should hear when you hear the voice of the flesh. Ooh, danger. Danger. No, no, no. We don't slip into the kingdom of God. We boldly enter. We boldly enter. When this life is over, we hold our heads high. And we say, I I know where I belong. I know where I'm going. And I belong there. I'm I'm not barely getting in. No, I belong there. But if you're floundering in your sin and you're halfway in the world and halfway in God, you don't have confidence. Your entry into the kingdom of God is not very glorious because you're not very sure what's happening. Does that make sense? Because you've been focused on the world for so long. You're like, oh, I'm here. Well, that's cool. But no, as we have these qualities, we know where we're going. And like Paul, henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. What words? I have fought the good fight. I cannot wait until I'm about to die and I get to say that. That's beautiful. That's a treasure. That's valuable. I have fought the good fight. Not because I figured it out. No, God has kept me, praise God, because I see a lot who have fallen. And if I make it, like Paul said, if I somehow make it, earlier on in Philippians he said that, and then way later in Timothy he says, I've fought the good fight. (laughs) I've made it! Henceforth is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. That's how we enter the kingdom of God, beloved. So God calls us to be actively involved in our spiritual maturing. So be actively involved. Hope in Him as the worries and demands of each day seem to pit themselves against your spiritual focus. Remember God's power is delivered to you through His promises, the knowledge of His promises. You can trust God. Everything in our lives can be on the table. We can surrender everything. We can have open hands. But the kids got to play sports. They don't. They don't. But we've got to have this vacation. You don't. You don't. But I've got to make this much money. You don't. You don't. Not saying you can't or won't. Just saying you don't have to. Everything's on the table. You can trust God. I have to eat today. No. You don't. There's something called fasting where people do that on their own volition. Like, so if we can go without food for a day and be okay, there's things. We're we're okay. Everything's on the table. We can trust God. If I have food, He provides it all anyway. Everything's on the table. Because if it's not everything's on the table, we're going to struggle with these things. We're going to struggle with self-control because, no, I need this. I need this. I need to appear this way. I need to be seen like this. I need to attain this. I need, no, no. He will never leave us. He's working all things together for our good. Father, thank you for the patience of your people today. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the focus. Lord, how bold. 
I can proclaim your word and yet get off this stage and see the deficiencies in my life. I hold to Christ. We look at Jesus now. He is everything. He is enough. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.